بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه We are in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah number 33, and today, inshallah, ayah number 35. Previously, we had discussed the previous ayat that mentioned the standard for the Ahli Bayt, the families of the Prophet his wives and also his children included, that they are required to uphold a standard of morality, ethics, discipline, which serve as a role model for the rest of the ummah. And uh, they should not demand from the Prophet ﷺ something that would become a burden on others if they chose to follow the lifestyle of the household of the Prophet So the discussion was around the spoils of war coming to the Prophet and his wives who were not in a good condition financially, economically expected that he would offer some goods to them also. The Prophet did not like that and the ayat came down instructing the wives of the Prophet to seek Allah and the Rasul and not to seek the dunya so that they remain the role model for other women in time to come. And then we discussed the issue of the Ahl Bayt the family of the Prophet ﷺ, that they should remain steadfast, mention the Qur'an, uh, study the Qur'an and hikmah, the knowledge of deen that came along with the Qur'an through the Prophet ﷺ, and uh, become steadfast Muslims as they were now the mothers of the believers. Today in Ayah 35, the most, one of the most intriguing and I would say essential ayat of the Quran today for uh, the discussion of equal opportunity and so-called women's rights in Islam. And now if you come from that background and you live in a community, a society, a culture, that uh, emphasizes, re-emphasizes ad nausea the rights of women and so on, okay, then you may want to step back, take off that cap of uh, post-enlightenment human rights issues. Look at this from the point of view of a believer, of one who believes in Allah and his Rasul and one who wants to understand that Islam transcends every custom, culture, civilization, every period of human life, and so on. If we do not see the Qur'an as evidence and guidance for all times and all people, and we want to squeeze in the Qur'anic ayat into our time and into our circumstance and context, 
then you will not receive the barakah of the Qur'an. Now, it will apply to our context also. Right? If we say that the Qur'an must speak to us only, then that's wrong. Because we're not the first Muslims. We're not the last Muslims. Islam in America is very new. It's fledgling, it's nascent. In fact, in my opinion, it's embryonic. Islam in everywhere in the world, besides North America and the Western Hemisphere, is not new. It is old. Right? So, if we as American Muslims always want to look into the Quran and say that Islam must be relevant to our context and we read the Quran that way, then that is a wrong approach. It's a very restrictive and claustrophobic approach to a divine word that is meant for all times and all people. So think outside the box by broadening the box. What is the box? All times and all people. Then you will be included as a matter of fact, in the discussion of the Qur'an. Trying to limit the Qur'an's guidance to our context, that's not the universality that the Qur'an now is giving us. It will also appeal to us, and the guidance is also for us in this time, in this period, and for our situation. So, uh, that's why I'm saying we may want to remove the cap of uh, this thinking that it must appeal to us now, it must be relevant now, the Quran is always relevant. The Quran will be relevant in Jannah, inshallah. You won't have the U.S. of A. there. The Quran is relevant in the grave. At that time you're dead. You understand what I'm saying? The Quran was relevant before you were born. The Quran will always be relevant. So, if we're seeking guidance from the Quran with this very limited lens uh, through which we usually look that it must appeal to the psyche and the sense that is 21st century Muslims of America then that is misguidance because of the approach so this ayah is immense in its value and in its representation of universality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us through the Quran some Mufassirun say that the women of the Sahaba approached Umm Salma radiallahu anha. Umm Salma is one of the wives of the Prophet One of the wives of the Prophet They approached her and asked her if she could ask the Prophet one question. And that is that uh, our men uh, go with the Prophet for service. Peace In the path. And they accompany him. And they do other work uh, that is for the community. Where we usually do not participate, nor are we allowed to participate. So, where do we fit in the divine scheme? Equal opportunity. 
bring that nasty word, equal option. Umm Salma said, okay. So she asked the Prophet ﷺ, this is a question that came from certain women. And the Prophet ﷺ did not um, reprimand them for asking the question. He welcomed the question and he said, I will ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give me an answer for this question. So as a response to that concern that certain Sahaba, women Sahaba had, about it being felt uh, left out of the ummah and community service and participating for the cause of Allah and the state and so on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. The whole ayah, 35. Word for word, so that uh, all Muslims at all times and wherever they are may benefit from this ayah. It's an eye of guidance for all times and all people, as I have said. So, the Qur'an's uh, platform is that when it comes to Islam, Islam is for salvation and bliss and enjoyment of life in the Akhirah, in the hereafter. Why do people accept Islam? Hopefully, it's because they want to establish their salvation. And they want uh, the ability to enter Jannah by being eligible for Jannah after they die. And so that they lead a life that is morally representative of that salvation and of that aqidah. That's why people accept Islam. Hopefully, there's always going to be some anomalies here and there, but on the whole, People want to escape the status quo uh, in their lives. They're not happy with, even though they may have money, wealth, power, prestige, honor. And they see Islam, the Quran, the Sunnah as a rahmah, as a blessing, as a mercy, so that they have something other than what they already have or what they're about to leave. That's why all the Sahaba accept Islam, including men and women. In early Islam, sometimes men would accept Islam and their women would not. And sometimes women would accept Islam and their men would not. Sometimes the daughters would and the mothers wouldn't. Sometimes the father would and the son would not. So there is definitely a gap between those who are believers and those who are non-believers in the same family in the same household, in the same tribe, in the same community, in the same society. The idea that all of a sudden everyone was a Muslim, that is historically incorrect. It is a fiction that in one household you would, not, you would have everybody on the same page. Abu Bakr Allah's father and Abu Bakr's brother, okay, or son, not his brother, his son, they were not Muslim. So we must understand that in life people accept certain values and their own siblings, their parents and their children will not share the same values. That's part of human life. It's human civilization. The idea that everybody must be uniform because they are from the same family 
is a myth. And that is mentioned throughout the Quran with all the prophets and all the other stories of the Sahaba as you all know. So, today we face a crisis. And the crisis unfortunately is coming back to where we started. That the son may not believe anymore and the father will. Or the daughter may believe and the mother doesn't. Or the siblings, some of them believe and others are atheists in the same family. You know this as much as I, I know. It's not a myth, it's a reality. So in this context, when you're going to promote and present Islam, then what is the key feature of Islam that you want to promote? What is it? Social justice? Equality? In pay? Equal opportunity as far as job? Good life? That you're going to be happy? That doesn't work. Because Islam is not based on guaranteeing someone the best life in this world. What is Islam based on? Islam is based on salvation. Right? Islam is based on that. If you believe in Allah and the Rasul and the Akhirah, Allah will grant you salvation and He will grant you eternal bliss when you meet Him, inshallah. That is what Islam promises. Islam doesn't promise every person, citizen of the world, that they will be able to do what everyone else does. They'll be able to earn millions of dollars and have a beautiful house and a great family and all of this. Islam does not promise that and it has never promised that to any specific individual. So we must be careful that when we're dealing with people who are on the fringes and periphery of disbelief within our families that we don't promise something Allah has not promised. So the Prophet ﷺ was not allowed to make this pitch. O people, come into Islam and you'll have a good life. He said, come into Islam, you will be successful. The success in Islam is going to be in the framework of this world and the world hereafter. So we mustn't fall into that danger and that trap where we are always going to say, that Muslims are the best and they do this the best which might happen inshallah someday at the moment it's not happening and that's why you can't promise it because it may, may not be part of the promise Allah gives so this ayah promises something equal opportunity for success in the eyes of Allah so what is success in the eyes of Allah? this is what Allah means by success. إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ Indeed, those people who are believing men and those people who are believing women. Here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has separated okay, these qualities into male and female distinctively. Usually in the Quran, when the Quran addresses human beings, he includes everybody in the same address. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu. 
O you who believe, one word. This one word represents everybody, men and women, adults and children, okay. free and otherwise. So, Ya Yuhalladina Amanu incorporates everybody who is a believer, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, and so on. In this ayah, since the question was, how do we see women in Islam, Allah subhanahu makes an emphatic point. Indeed, inna. Indeed, those who are believing men, and those who are believing Women meaning those who submit to the will of Allah. Because the next phrase, وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ Those who are believing men and those who are believing women. So here the word Muslim has a more general application than the word Mu'min. Mu'min is someone who believes in Allah as an act of faith. Muslim is someone who surrenders his or her will to Allah's will. It's an active submission to Allah's will which is the universal Islam that the Qur'an comes with by all the other prophets, So, you as a person who is committed to Allah must be in line with Allah's will for you, both as a male and a female. Right? So this is for male and this is for female. What does Allah want from you? This is what He wants from you. That is... A submission which is active is not passive. You have the ability to say, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. So the Quran recognizes what we call human volition. Ikhtiyar. The ability to say yes or no. So, if there's an adult male and an adult female, and you present Islam to both, then both who submit to Allah's will will be called Muslim. Male and female. I submit to Allah's will. I don't mean in a passive way, I mean in a very active way. That when I become a Muslim, I will be submitting to the laws of Allah willingly. I will be surrendering my will to Allah's will, my desire to Allah's desire, once I know this is what Allah wants. So, a woman who says, I will submit to Allah's will, will say that Allah wants me to pray. Then there will be times in the month when Allah doesn't want you to pray. Is that true? So, what is the submission there? Oh, there's no such thing as equal opportunity here, dear. He doesn't want you to pray. So, what will you say? Allah doesn't want me to pray in these days, so I won't pray. And I'm happy with it. No? When you go for Hajj, mashallah. The, who, do, who, who dons the uh, outer garment and changes their clothing? Men. So men submit to the will, the hukum of Allah, and they put on two sheets. And the women? No, we don't want you doing that. The women, when they go for Hajj, they don't have to change their clothing. But are they still equally Haji as the men? Yes. You go as a couple. So the men dress one way, because it's Allah's will, 
and the women dress another way because it's Allah's will. Right? In Ramadan, man will fast 29.30 throughout the month. Allah doesn't want women to fast certain days. So now women say that I want to fast, then you're not submitting your will to Allah's will. You will take that concession from Allah and say, no, I'm not fasting, I'm happy with it. So submission means that you are willing to submit your will to Allah's will. That is Islam. This is what Muslimin means and Muslimat means. Not in the strict legal sense, the fiqhi sense of the word as we understand it. Because this ayah was pre those terminologies. This ayah refers to the will and desire of the man and a woman to submit to Allah's will no matter where it is and how it is. And usually Allah's will is very kind. Allah's will is not lethal. Allah is not a tyrant. Allah is not somebody who's going to be over your shoulder and punish you if you don't do this and that. It's your will. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your niyyah. It's your ikhtiyar. You have the volition to say yes or no. So here the Quran begins the discussion of equal opportunity by saying that Islam equals both equal opportunity to submit to Allah's will. That's universal. It is not a political system. It is not a legal system. It is not a cultural value. It is a value that is intrinsic and it is universal to every male and female in the world. Irrespective of birth, culture, citizenship or whatever it is you think is of value to you. Now, this universality is unheard of. Unheard of. Where you have, you have a, a club called Islam and the membership is free to all people. In order to be eligible to vote, you have to be a U.S. citizen. In order to be the uh, president of the U.S., you have to be born here, supposedly. Right. At least in theory. So that's not equal rights. That's not equal opportunity. You understand? If you're in the country, you have to pay tax. That's equal opportunity within the U.S. Right. Equal opportunity means Allah is providing you the option and the discretion which you can use either this way or that way. I submit to my Lord's will, whichever way it comes. Now, the societal impact of this will be whatever it is. But more than the societal impact, first and foremost, it starts with you, inside of you, where you are you. And the most precious thing that you have is you. So Allah addresses the most precious thing in you, which is your will and your desire and your will. In such a way that you say, I'm happy with this choice. So people say you have equal opportunity as a Muslim for choice. I choose to submit, or God forbid, I choose not to submit. If you choose not to submit, then we're not addressing you. That's the key. People, God forbid, if they leave Islam, we say we're not addressing you any longer because you have opted out from submission. Now we will talk to you as if 
uh, you are non-Muslim. You're no longer Muslim. Because you haven't submitted. So if you choose that you're not going to submit to this command of Allah, then that's your choice. So we're pro-choice in that sense. We're not saying that uh, we're going to punish you. We're saying that whatever happens when you meet Allah, that happens. And that's up to him. He'll decide what he's going to do with you. We're not going to decide anything just yet. Because we don't have the power, authority, or the ability to execute anything we want to. So we say that you have a choice. You can do this, or you can do that. And that's where the struggle is in every Muslim's mind today. This is the greatest struggle. It's not about the fiqh. It's about a person's inability to appreciate Allah's giving you a choice. Whoever wants, they may believe. And whoever wants, they may disbelieve. But if you disbelieve, the Quran then says, this is going to happen to you. And that's your choice. And if you believe, this will happen to you. And this is your choice. So at the very profound level of uh, subhuman consciousness, the Quran is giving everybody a choice which is equal, whether you're male or female. Now, once you say, I am willing, when you get married, mashallah, and both of you say, I do, I have accepted, then you have to go through everything, the whole nine yards. Unless God forbid something else happens, that's different. If you say you do, then what does marriage entail? What does marriage require? What are the expectations of marriage? So that's what's called in fiqh, rida, rida The precondition for marriage in Islam is that both parties must be happy with the commitment they're willing to make as soon as they say, I am married. If you're not willing to make that commitment, then that's your choice. But post-choice, you have to go through with it. Within obviously the framework of Islamic law and Sharia or whatever, and the, uh, your, your fiqh, or even the legal construct of this country. When people get married here in this country, there's a legal framework within which you can be a husband and wife, and you may not be. You're allowed to you, 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 you file your taxes jointly. Right. That so you can file your taxes jointly. So there's a legal construct, and so on. What I'm saying is that once you say I submit, then you have to go all the way. All the way. That is your choice. Mm. Those who believe of men and those who believe of women. Belief then is post-choice. In this context, belief means that I believe whatever the Prophet says is true. So if he says there is Jannah, then it's true. And this is equal for men and women. And if he says there is Jahannam, then I believe that is true. That is the haq. And this is equal for men and women. If he says Salat five times a day is fard, then I believe both men and women will believe. And if he says that Allah will be pleased if you do this, and he'll be displeased if you do that, then I believe. That's now your faith system. That's your belief system. That now in society... You will declare that you believe in whatever Muhammad brings to the table of Aqidah 
and everything else that goes along with our iman and our submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that every person has male and female. Nobody is deprived anyone from believing or not believing in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and everything he came with. So when the women sahaba now were required to do this which was against what the men were doing then they believed and they acted according to that belief because they've already submitted to the universal value of Islam which is mentioned in the beginning and those men who are devout and those women who are devout and obedient at the same time Allah subhanahu wa is saying now as your social value and your social milieu and your ethos in society that you must be willing to comply okay, rather than to be rebellious Kunut usually implies that you will not be rebellious and you will not be a rebel and you will not be someone who is going to cause trouble and you will be devoutly obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet again it's not passive is not suppression mm. and there's not being retrogressive now you say that uh, the, 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 the male is allowed to do this and the female is not allowed to do this when you look at the ahkam, the rules that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has imposed on men they're far more severe than the rules that Allah has imposed on women right yeah. why can't a woman be an imam I'll say, come here. I know what it takes to be an imam. And you will not survive one hour of being an imam, trust me. Why? Because you have to wake up in summer, 3.30 in the morning, make your wudu, get in your car, and go open the masjid door. And remain there, do the other, leave the salat, come back. Then do whatever it is. So that you might get a nap before waking up, before the children wakes up. You want to do that? Be my guest. You won't last an hour. Day in and day out. Men are required to do things that uh, are so difficult that Allah gave women a break in as far as salvation. If men don't do that, their salvation is at risk. If women don't do it, their salvation will never be at risk. Like, for instance, going for Jumara. Right? Going for Jumara means you give up your lunch, you give up your meetings, you give up your school classes, you give up whatever it is you're doing at home. Men have to do that. Allah said to women, you don't have to do that. If men don't do it, the Prophet said that if you miss Jummah for three weeks consecutively, Allah will stamp you with a stamp of nifaq and hypocrisy. For women, Jummah is not firm on you, dear. Relax, take it easy. You may go. If you go, it's good. If you think so. And if you don't go, your salvation is not at risk. So who gets the better deal? It's a no-brainer. You understand what I'm saying? 
the, 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 the idea or the myth in the minds of many Muslim men is that why don't we allow women to do that? We allow women to do that, but it's not an obligation. It's not a farb. So we will not impose it upon society, nor will we declare that Islam believes in equal opportunity as far as Salat al-Jumah goes, as far as being the imam of the community goes. For men, it's an obligation. If they don't do that and they don't perform at that level, their salvation, the reason why they're Muslim, is now in jeopardy. Whereas if women don't do it, they're, they're brave. It's almost a free ride. You understand what I'm saying? Understand the ahkam of Allah through the lens of submission. Submit to what Allah wants you to do. Imposition is never good. Notice taklif. What is the imposition? It's not taklif. La yukallifullahu nafsan illa us'aha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not impose any burden on you more than you can bear and carry. So that is why we see that the concessions Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given and the, 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 the other values Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given is in the sense that men must perform this as a religious duty, obligation, where for women it's an option. Who has the option? The women. Who doesn't have an option? The men. So the Islam of men is much more demanding than the Islam of Women. Right. The Islam. I don't mean the cultural values. We're not talking about the cultural values. We're not talking about food and this and that. We're talking about what it means to be a Muslim. What it means to be a Muslim is your salvation. Right. So, if you impose upon society an idea that the Quran, Sunnah, and the Prophet did not impose upon the Ummah, then that's a bid'ah. So we're not going to impose that every woman leave her house and their children and their workplace or whatever every Friday and come for Jummah. The cops haven't been doing it. Why are we doing it? Can they come? Sure. Did they come? Some of them did. Did all women come for Jummah? No. How do you know that? Because the neighbor of the Prophet وسلم, uh, is narrating that I memorize Surah Qaf from my house, she says, from my house. Because the Prophet would frequently recite Surah Qaf in Jumu'ah. What does that mean? That means she wasn't there. If you understand the story, she says that I memorize Surah Qaf only because the Prophet would frequently recite Surah Qaf along with other surahs in Jumu'ah, from my house. Now, someone's a neighbor to the Prophet a neighbor to the masjid of the Prophet doesn't go for Jumu'ah, then what does that tell you about the society then? That they never saw it as an imposition. They never saw it as the cliff. Nor did they see that as being backward, or retrogressive, or being suppressed. It was seen as a father of Allah, alhamdulillah, I don't need to go. Men need to go. I'm happy where I am. It's an option. You may exercise that option if you want to. And if you don't want to, Allah will still give you Jannah. That's the thinking you should have. Qanitin. Devout and obedient at the same time. So your, your needs are fulfilled if you believe in what the Prophet tells you.
Those men who are truthful and those women who are truthful. So truthfulness is a universal value. And every male and female, adult and child, must be introduced to this value. No matter where you are, whichever society you live in, whichever culture you live in, you must be true. And you must be truthful. Both. Be with those who are truthful. There's a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we speak the truth and we exhibit the truth and we believe in the truth. We do not hide the truth in whatever it is we do at any level. This is a value that if you excel in, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you and he will give you eternal success and bliss when he meets you. So this is the core value that is relevant for all Muslims at all times wherever they are and whoever they are. So Sidq, eh, being a person who values truth and does not allow anyone to value lies and untruthfulness in any way, shape or form, that is now necessary for both men and for women. Yeah. And those, by those, indeed those men who are patient and steadfast, and those women who are patient and steadfast, they're also equal in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sabr is something that is a universal value. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, استعينوا بالصبر والصلاة That seek help with sabr. And salat also, that you must have patience in your portfolio. As part of your, your being, as part of your existence, you speak the truth and you believe in the truth. At the same time, you must have patience, because if you speak the truth and you don't have patience, then you lose. That's why watawasu bil haq in the Quran is now uh, cemented by watawasu bil sabr. With the haq, you need sabr. I'm going to speak the truth. Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, really, good luck with that. I'm going to speak the truth. I don't care what anyone says. You'll last more than five minutes anyway in any meeting of any kind. Even a, what to do for lunch in the cafeteria. I'm going to speak the truth. Good luck with that. You need resistance. Okay? You need patience. You need to be honorable in the sense that when you do speak the truth and represent the truth, you must understand that it takes much more than speaking to influence people with regards to the truth. It's an effort. So this, this resistance from within uh, is invaluable and you do that uh, by training yourself and your children every day about how to be patient. If you don't have this ability, then you will not study uh, for your boards, for your exams, for college, for school. You'll be able to do your homework and you will be able to tell your children to do their homework because you don't have sabr yourself. The sabr comes at many levels in many ways and so on. You get frustrated and once you get frustrated, you don't have sabr. So here the Quran is saying to all Muslim men and women that you must inculcate and develop sabr and patience resistance within you so that you are steadfast. Patience leads to perseverance. If you're not patient, you won't be a person who's going to persevere. You'll give up. Uh, when Once you give up, then you'll lose it. That you don't finish anything you start off to do. So sabr is a universal value that we all, all appreciate and 
obviously you've heard many lectures and read many books and hadith about these two values, Sidq and Sadr, uh, they come together. Wal-Khashi'een and Wal-Khashi'at, those who are humble, okay, of men and those who are humble of women, that they revere uh, people for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that shows in their uh, humbleness in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran speaks about those who are uh, reverent in their salat, they're humble in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they recognize who is in front of them. In your social ethics and behavior. Here this is more about your religious ethics and behavior in terms of your ibadah. In terms of when you're in front of Allah, you humble yourself and you revere the one whom you are worshipping. But this has a spillover into your social behavior also. That in your social behavior you understand and appreciate who's in front of you. So, is there a child? Then you are humble enough to acknowledge in your mind that's a child. In your devout service to Allah, uh, when you make dua and you are worshipping Him, then you are humble enough to acknowledge that you are full of mistakes and you need forgiveness and you need guidance. Uh, you need Allah to help you just as He is helping everybody else in the world. This okay, that devoutness, uh, humbleness, reverence, will produce what we call the kafiyah, a, a quality of being focused in your ibadah. Right, so that's the outcome. Khushur and khudur is usually in reference to how focused a person is in his uh, petitioning and soliciting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salat. You're very devout in salat. Khushur that you're humble and you know the awe of the being in whose presence you are and you are totally immersed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his presence. That's how we usually use khushur in our everyday language, our urf. But that's the result of what I mentioned before. Unless you know that you are supposed to be humbled when you make the dhikr of Allah and especially in your salah that you're humbled and you're not arrogant, and you're not proud, or you're not taking God for granted. You realize and recognize who you are. That is what the Prophet ﷺ said in the question about Ihsan. That you worship Allah as if you are seeing Him. So when you look at someone who is a major figure, an important person, a VIP, a celebrity, the President of the U.S., then you're held in awe because that person in front of you commands that you hold him in awe. Right. So when you say Allahu Akbar, then uh, you must hold Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in awe. That's how you focus. The negligence in salat is what makes you think of other things besides Allah. That's not khushua. Khushua is when you focus in your salat and say Allahu Akbar, now you finish you have alienated yourself from everything else in the world except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're right there. You're looking at him. That's how you develop this ihsan. This is equal opportunity. Male Muslims can do it. Female Muslims can do it. And they do do it. Right? That's the other point. That both male and female Muslims do do this. If they can take time out from their busy preoccupation with the dunya, and they learn how to focus in salat, they'll be from the khashi'i and from the khashi'at, 
it is a value worth developing, inculcating, making dua for. As you see other values in life, in society, in culture that you want to strive for, the Quran is saying, strive for this value, which will help you with the promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give you. وَالْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقَاتَ And those, indeed, those men who give charity, those women who give charity, that as far as being generous towards others, you are equal. That you may earn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and his reward by being charitable. And as far as helping others through your charitable works and deeds and actions and du'as, you are equal in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That this ability to, to give to others, especially those who are in need, is something that is a Muslim value intrinsically. That the upper hand is always better than the lower hand. The giving hand is better than the receiving hand, as the Prophet ﷺ said. The upper hand is better than the lower hand. So, Muslims were trained and disciplined, as in this ayah, to give and not to merely receive. So your altruistic outlook towards the world is based on your Islam, is based on your Iman, is based on your Sikh, is based on your Sabah. Sometimes you may not be able to, but you will give whatever you can. And you're devout about it. You are humble about it. And so, on. so, charity, as is mentioned before many times, doesn't always mean that you give a $5,000 check or $50,000 check. You may do so. Be my guess. It means that in your essence, you are charitable. You are willing to give. And you want to give. That is what the Prophet said. That sometimes charity is just to say, Assalamu alaikum to your brother. Charity is just to say, Subhanallah. Because you're willing to give that to Allah, Subhanahu So that is a slightly different topic. But it's part of your portfolio. That as a Muslim, regardless of whether you're male or female, you have this value in you intrinsically. And then indeed those men who fast and those women who fast, this includes your nawafil, the voluntary fast, alongside with your mandatory fast in Ramadan. We have voluntary fast. Those men who fast for the sake of Allah, Keep their soul and those women who fast for the sake of Allah. You may want to develop this. This is a very unique quality uh, which uh, we must uh, express in our communities. And that is something the Prophet Wasallam also uh, asked the Ummah to do in their nawafil. As you know about certain wives of the Prophet Wasallam, like Hafsa, uh, they would be fasting constantly, almost sometimes continuously as a, a dedication to yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So fasting removes many ills that are social, many ills that are personal, and many ills that are uh, physical also. And then fasting then develops within you uh, the ability not to uh, become, the uh, uh, lack of a better expression, sex crazy. And which is what the last expression is referring to. 
والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات or the penultimate one. And those men who guard their private parts and those women who guard their private parts. So now, obviously, very relevant to our situation today. And this ayah which speaks about equal opportunity is very explicit and it was revealed 1400 years ago. So it is timeless and it is acontextual. Right? If you want to say what does Islam stand for, Islam stands for this. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, those men who guard their private parts and those women who guard their private parts mean that they believe in chastity. They believe in a certain modesty. And they believe in making sure society doesn't go crazy over something that they should not go crazy over. Because that is societal suicide. That is when your morals are really corroded from within and becomes cancerous. And then everybody who is anybody will be speaking about anything and everything on social media. And the whole world knows what you do in your private life. And they're promoting this life value as if it's the best thing that has happened to humanity. Quran says, enough of all this. You should not be going that way. First, you're going to fast. And when you fast, you're going to develop this ability and spirit whereby you say that we don't need to do anything that is not halal outside the boundaries of human civilization. So here we see, it doesn't mean to say that you, you will not engage in the act. It means that you will guard yourself in such a way that you follow the rules. The Quran does not support celibacy, as you know. Muslims don't believe that you should not get married. Muslims believe you should be married. At the same time, Muslims, they don't believe that everybody, regardless of whether they're married or not, have a choice to do whatever they want to because it's their body. I own my body, I can do what I want. That doesn't fly. Then, you have not submitted your will to the will of Allah in the first place. The first expression in the eye is about those who submit their will, male and female, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa will for you is that you behave this way, which is very normal in human civilization. I'm not talking about legal issues, whether you allow it as a society, say this is legal or the We're not talking about it. We're talking about the... the, the, the the moral application of human decency, which transcends every legal system. There are countries in the world today, still, who say all of this is illegal. Right? Adultery is illegal. Fornication is illegal. Any other form of expressing yourself this way is illegal. So that's a legal issue. And every sovereign country has its right to govern itself the way it sees fit. So if there's a country that says this is illegal, then so be it. And God forbid, if there's a country that says it's legal, then so be it. So we're not talking, discussing at the legal level, where this legal principle you're going to follow whatever the law says. We're saying that uh, as far as understanding what Allah wants from you and of you, as a Muslim who wants to seek salvation, this is what the Quran says. And this guidance for you. Now, if it goes against the grain, then it goes against the grain. Now, well, alcohol is legal in this country. Okay. So what are you going to do? You can tell every Muslim because it's legal, start drinking? Yes? No? Eating pork in this country is what? A culture. 
is more than legal. Now, if someone argues, well, in the U.S. and every other country in the world except certain Muslim countries, it is legal for people to eat pork. So now, what do the Muslim community leaders do? Should they go out and say, because pork is legal, all Muslims should be eating pork? Has this idea ever occurred to any Muslim leader? That because it's legal, socialize it. Emphasize it. Speak about it. Indoctrinate people that you must do this. No. Why? Because of certain values you have. So if something else becomes legal, are you going to tell every Muslim married couple that, hey, look, yeah, there's no harm in adultery and extramarital affairs because it's not illegal in, I would say, most states. I don't know about this. Most states. Okay? So what are you going to do? When you're, when you're counseling the couple before premarital counseling, hey, did you know it's legal for you to do this? They'll, both of them will slap you, if not kill you. You understand what I'm saying? So in the legal framework, in the legal discussion, we have to be careful that you don't override and approve the values you have as a Muslim. This is a Muslim value. Those men who safeguard their private parts and those women who safeguard their private parts, they will have equal opportunity for the, uh, salvation and for success in front of Allah subhanahu it is a value that needs to be inculcated and developed. You don't go across that uh, boundary. That's the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to submit to his will. And that's the discussion that you should be having. Other than the free-fall discussion. That everybody seems to be having. Oh yeah, they have a right. Sure, they have a right. It's a legal right. It's not a God-given right. In our definition of God-given in this definition of the Quran. Now, what do you do with them? As I mentioned in the beginning, there are always going to be people within each member, each Muslim's family today in North America, perhaps in the Western world, where some will believe and others will disbelieve. That's no longer a tragedy now. It's a reality. It happens in every family. As you see on the social media, on your Facebook, some will say yes, some will say no. Here, the guidance we find from the Qur'an, that this discussion is a-contextual. This discussion is timeless. This discussion is for all people at all times. And you must maintain that if you are going to be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those men who remember Allah plenty, and those women who remember Allah plenty, the dhikr, realizing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, who is he, and what is he to you, that is the essence of dhikr, and you must do this plenty. When you love somebody, and you want to be in that company, and you miss that person, you mention that person by name, and by everything else, and that is dhikr. That is what? Dhikr. That you remember him. That's at the societal level. At the personal individual level, you mention that person's name and you write uh, that person's name and you doodle that person's name. Yeah. Those of you who are hopeless romantics uh, end up writing your beloved name. You, know, you doodle their name. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's dhikr is both. At all levels, you mention him by tongue 
and you mention him in society, wherever you are, however you are, this is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Plenty. Not just a little bit. The salat is not enough to say it's plenty. Because after salat Allah says, وَذْكُرُ kathira." Mention Allah plenty. Remember Allah. This is after Salat al-Jum'ah. Allah says, وَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Mention Allah and make dhikr of Allah plenty. So here is not Salat. This is something else. Extra curricular dhikr. It is necessary as a value in a Muslim's life, in a Muslim society, in a Muslim community. This is what the Quran is now saying. That these values are universal. And those Muslim men and those Muslim women who have these values... What is Allah's promise? Allahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for them forgiveness. That when he meets these people, male and female, he will forgive them. And a huge, huge reward. A magnificent reward as a translation here. Huge, mighty reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reward that we can't even think of nor can we imagine, nor can we conceive, nor can we perceive. This is the reward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to those people who have these values. And these values are there for anyone to take, male, female, uh, adult, and minor, and anyone who wants to jump onto the bandwagon of salvation, they need to appreciate this. In society, they may have different uh, manifestations and different ways to be executed, but the essence is the same. So this is an ayah which is very comprehensive. It addresses many issues of that time. It addresses many issues of this time. And this is where we will stop here today. We may continue discussing this. Inshallah, next time we meet. Jazakumullah Subhanallah, alhamdulillah. We will meet, inshallah, after Eid.